five, four, three, two, one, zero, and liftoff. You're listening to Working Forward. Presented by Symmetra. In partnership with NASA Reimagine. In this limited podcast series, hosted by Harry Monty, Laura Dynan-Haber, Paul Tyler, and Todd Zen, we explore the future of work from a variety of viewpoints and discuss the challenges and opportunities ahead. Hello, welcome to the Working Forward podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Todd Zen. I work for Symmetra in our group benefits division in a product and market development role. We're really excited to have you here for this series where we're going to dive into the future of work, all sorts of ramifications. It's a hot topic and one we're really excited to engage with some great guests on. Um, We will be talking a bit about how this applies to the group benefits business. Uh, That is a a passion of ours, but uh, the conversation will be broader than that as well. So uh, we're really looking forward to diving in. Um, Excited to say I'm joined here by three great co-hosts. Let me introduce the first one. Harry Monty, Harry's Executive VP and Head of our Group Benefits Division here at Symmetra. So Harry, first of all, welcome to the show. And second of all, just a question for you right off the top. What are you most excited about to dive into? And and why do you think this theme of the future of work is, is so important? Hey, Todd, thanks for the introduction and uh, terrific to be here. I think this is going to be a great conversation. Uh, just to, to your point around why is this so important? I think about the pace of change that's happened over the last few years, right? Everyone talks about how it's accelerated and what are companies doing. They're really entrenching around the customer. You hear about customer-centered design. You hear about customer centricity. And uh, we all do that as companies to stay relevant for consumers. Now, the fact is those consumers are the workforce. So if the consumer expectations are changing for companies uh, in the marketplace, those same consumers' expectations are going to change as workers. And I think that means a lot to the future of work, Uh, the expectations that workers have of the employers, how they interact with them, where they work, um, whether it be an employer or someone that you contract with as a gig worker, I think those are going to change. So uh, this conversation, I think, is critical to the survival of of companies and whether you're a business leader or a company that um, is, you know, supports employers and how they interact with their, their employees uh, just critically important topic. So, and before I hand it back to you, Todd, I do just want to uh, say a quick thank you to the folks at NASA Reimagine. It's always fun to partner with them. They have been terrific, and I know you're going to have them introduce themselves now. Yeah, definitely. So, um, let's start with you, Paul. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Todd, and uh, glad to be here. I'm actually uh, I'm Paul Tyler, the uh, founder of our uh, incubator in Hartford, and uh, you know. It's been a pleasure to work with your company over the last several years. Likewise. Yeah. And Laura, welcome. Yeah. Thanks so much, Todd. Uh, Innovation Program Manager for NASA Reimagine. Harry, it's great to have you back on with us, Todd. It's it's wonderful to, you know, to be in the conversation um, on the series and especially today. So thanks for having us. 
of course. We're so excited to have you both. You're both experienced podcasters and uh, a great voice in insurance and technology. So thrilled to have the gang all here. Um, so those are the hosts. Um, let's transition now to talk about our and introduce our guest. So very pleased to be joined here today by Gary Golden, and I'll let him introduce himself, uh, give a little bit more of his background in a moment. But you know, I think the the, the headline with Gary, his specialty is uh, he's a futurist. So um, you know, it makes me think about sci-fi movies and things like that. But it's actually quite an academic pursuit, and um, I think it's going to be great perspective for us here as we frame up this discussion on what work can look like in the future. So Gary, first welcome, and um, if you wouldn't mind, please introduce yourself to the audience. Sure, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, my name is Gary Golden. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I am a futurist based out of uh, Brooklyn, New York. And I work with organizations to help them think about uh, market transitions. That's great. So, Gary, I've, I've got some yeah. big questions for you, but can you talk a little bit about how one becomes a futurist? It's such a fascinating specialty. Yeah, so it's a job title that can it can it can bring about like a smile on the face, like oh, I love talking to futurists, <laughs> or it can make people kind of roll their eyes, like Ugh, I, I just I don't like hearing from futurists. Uh, but my path was actually an academic route. I attended a program at the University of Houston, which is a program, a graduate level program rooted in the study of social change. So the, the Foresight program in Houston has been around since the early 1970s. Uh, so that was the beginning of my uh, practicing futurists. That's wonderful. I, I think you'll find from this group, we're, we're super excited to talk to futurists. So we're we're in that, uh, that category. But um, so to get us going, let me just um, hit you with sort of a general question. Um, I think we all know work has changed a lot over the last two, two and a half years. Um, some of those trends started before that, though, of course. So can you, can you share with us as, as you study and, and dive into this topic, what are some macro level trends that, that you've seen that, that could potentially and are likely to impact the future of work? Sure. So, and, and these would have been there before COVID, but I think they were amplified by those events. Uh, for me, the really three primary macro picture. Uh, one is how organizations respond to social change around mental health and mental well-being, and not just seeing what we do within the organization as kind of a, a benefits package feature, but as part of a, a bigger social movement around mental well-being. Uh, the second would be a, kind of a, a, a true future orientation around technology inside the workplace. And I think the, the framing that we're going to want to talk about is working with AI. So individuals, whether they're at home or in a factory or in an office, they're going to be working alongside these advanced systems to help them make better decisions and collaborate. And then the third one is is this, this conversation around value systems and Kind of the, the big picture social contract of who are we as a company and how do we respond to social issues uh, that may likely be very polarizing across society. So those are the big three. And then if I had to throw in a fourth, it would probably be globalization of the workforce. So so what what will it mean for organizations to have teams that are truly international, not just working in a local you know, market, but but having individuals around the world that are connected to your domestic market. Hey, Gary, I'm going to jump in with the first question for you. I want to circle back to the comment that you made about 
uh, remote work and geographic dynamics. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of discussion around trying to get people back in the office or not. Um, a lot of consumers or employees are talking about being hybrid, being remote. Just what are the trends that you're seeing and the themes that you're, you're seeing out in society uh, that are going to impact that particular dynamic of work in the future? Sure. So when you think about uh, you know, the future of, of remote work, hybrid work, geographic based work, um, there is both geographic based work in terms of accessing talent. So just being able to tap into new markets to find talent um, that you might use domestically rather than in a localized global market. Um, and I think that will over time expand and we will have more global teams uh, the time zone is always the trick there. Uh, it's hard to keep employees happy for too long if they're you know, on calls at 11 o'clock at night. Um, but locally, I think that the hybrid question really is going to be about, uh, I see it more as a, as a, as a longevity in, in the workplace and generational uh, dynamic where experienced employees who need to be re retained uh, are likely to end employees or employers likely to meet those needs. Uh, so I think that that desire to retain talent is the driving force. And then the discussions you hear around the rest of the workforce, kind of emerging professionals, millennials, is that they are going to need social relationships for upward mobility inside the organization. And that the, the, the scenario there is that in-person work teams tend to tilt towards the younger side of the professional spectrum because the most important thing for them is having those strong interpersonal relationships that allow them to, to uh, expand and evolve their career. So I think there might be some tension along the types of employees uh, around this question. Well, let me pick up, up on, on, on your, uh, your phrase types of employees, um, right? Now, some of these roles, you know, I, I would say I could, I would describe as back to the future, Gig workers, well, you know, pre-industrial revolution, they that was kind of the norm. You know, you walked in, I walked into Harry's shop, he told me what he wanted, gave me materials, I went back, I returned to his house. Okay, so fast forward, full-time, part-time workers, um, we have consultants. You know, is hybrid a different class of workers? Is do you call somebody at the tail end of their career a different role? And do you call somebody entering is is Entering the workforce, is that a different role? You know, well, how is this going to evolve? It, it may be the way that we justify it and that the, that the employees that are primarily remote are reclassified. So it is quite possible that organizations end up, um, yeah, again, just kind of justifying that, that transition in terms of the classification. Um, and, and, I, and I think, again, pre-COVID, we will continue to see an expansion of the type of worker. And, and again, I'm going to lean back into, I think that will be aging baby boomers that will seek out more project, part-time, gig-based work, and that the uh, life stage pressures of millennials and Gen Z as they enter the family formation stage of life, they are going to be the ones that seek out stability. Um, so it, again, it may end up becoming a workforce that is a little bit more stratified in terms of generation. 
So Gary, I have to follow up on, on one thing there because you mentioned that the younger generations will look for closer uh, social ties and, and personal relationships. So if you really think toward the future, how does the metaverse play into this? I, I had to bring it up. Um, I saw an article recently that said that 50% of millennials and, and Gen Z workers expect to be doing at least part of their work in the metaverse in the next two years. And that uh, I think the other statistic was that 50% of all workers are open to representing themselves as um, as an avatar in meetings within the next year. That seems to go in the opposite direction of close personal relationships. So I'd love your take on how the metaverse might impact all this. Sure. So for me, I'd like to, to think of the metaverse well, it's very early stages, but really the word for me is is presence technology. When I think of a metaverse environment, it is it is still a few years away, uh, though I think it it will come sooner than we expect when we're standing around 2025. Uh, what the metaverse allows us to do is feel a sense of presence. When I look to the right, I look to the left, uh, I see and kind of feel people in the same environment. And when they speak, it's coming from a directional uh, uh, kind of context. Uh, I think it will be the metaverse as a workplace setting is, is very likely with teams that require a high sense of presence and, and real-time collaboration. Um, so I think it's going to be a, a part of our day, not a full-time aspect. Um, and it will be likely limited to organizations that, you know, have those conditions of, of a need for presence uh, in, in how they work. So, so, so Gary, I, 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 you make an interesting you know, comment about uh, the type of work people are doing, how it's getting measured. Uh, and I, I do feel like there's a big leap between managing people and then managing projects. Like what will be a catalyst for my employer to evaluate me on my work and not just how many minutes my green light was on? So I think that the catalyst is going to come in the era where service and knowledge workers are working with AI and, and will take AI as a spectrum, <laughs> a range of, of capabilities. Uh, Project-based work management requires us to have more visibility into uh, experiential data, workflow data, task data, collaboration data. Uh, and we're already starting to see glimpses of uh, all-purpose tools within the work environment recording that level of data. Uh, and I think that we're just kind of ignoring it right now. We haven't addressed the ethics of it, if, whether it feels creepy or compelling to managers and workers. Um, it, it, but it really comes down to us being able to accept the capturing of experiential and organizations that are able to do that ethically and with with support from their teams, I think will thrive. And organizations that struggle with that will have to remain in that legacy era of, of managing people, which, which may be fine for some organizations. So, Gary, I want to build on a couple things that have come up in your comments, or at least how I'm processing it. I think, you know, it's, it's interesting to hear work becoming less 
tethered to specific hours. So you've got people working sort of all hours. You've got maybe less tethering to physical locations. We talked about the metaverse, other remote work options. So in your view, do you see that as a big enabler for the potential of more international workforces working under the same company, collaborating? It does seem like it may offer some opportunities, but curious for your thoughts. I do. So the 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 big concept to understand is this notion of a demographic dividend. So this is where society has a educated, trained workforce that's entering its you know workforce years uh, and uh, are ready to bring value to the world. So Ireland it happened in Ireland in the '90s, Korea prior to that. Um, there are several regions in the world that are about to experience a demographic dividend. And they will have talented workforce ready to be hired uh, by companies from outside of their jurisdiction. So I do think that that international workforce dynamic is going to be driven more about, you know, the aging populations of Western societies and China uh, and kind of the demographic dividend future of uh, other regions. Hey, Gary, I'm going to take us in a little bit different direction because one of the other trends that you mentioned was around mental health, and I'll, I'll broaden that out to, to personal wellness. And clearly, people view the risks that they face very differently today than they did two and a half, three years ago. And so just curious for your thoughts around uh, how people's risk perceptions, both health risks, social risks, are going to impact what they're going to expect from their employer in the future. Yeah, so th- this is one where code, I think, was unique in terms of not just amplifying, but really shifting how we frame mental health, mental well-being um, from an you know an insurer employer standpoint. We're looking for more parity in our coverage and our you know support, not just for physical health but mental health as well. Um, I think mental well-being, which is this ability to navigate things that happen in our lives, right? Versus mental health, which could be anxiety, depression, et cetera. Mental well-being is, I think, the primary lens of our risk assessment. We're going we're gonna to be looking at how does this facet of my life connected to work have an impact on my mental well-being and the mental well-being of my family. Um, so I, I think that there's going to be a strong coupling between how people perceive uh, their mental well-being and, and risk factors, so I, I th- the, and and again, this this conversation is not likely to be um, successful if companies see mental well-being as you know something resolved through some some features in our plan. It's we are aligned with the change in the social expectations, the societal level expectations around mental health. And I guess, Gary, we you mentioned automation, you mentioned AI, you mentioned uh, mental health. Um, at, at, at what time do you cross into that that creepy factor where you know I, I used to, I could shut the door, I go home, my employer's away. Um, now here I've got an omnipresent company that's asking me, "How am I? How are you feeling, Paul?" 
<laughs> what does that mean for my future employment? What does that mean for my future uh, trajectory inside a company? Um, wh- where's that line? And how? Do you, and and uh, is it moving? Yeah, it is moving. So that the line is it's it's typically called the creepy versus compelling line, right? Like kind of creepy that you're measuring it, but then oh, my employer asked me how I was feeling today. That's kind of compelling. <laughs> Maybe Smile, we'll take a smiley. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, the line is moving. The line is subjective to each individual. And there is absolutely a, I believe, uh, a generational uh, set of distinctions where you have younger people that are much more willing to talk about their mental well-being uh, versus, uh, you know, other generations that, you know, grew up in a don't talk about that. <laughs> suppress it and look at the younger generation as if it's a performance, as if it's an excuse. Um, so I think there's a, a bit of a, a culture war dynamic around uh, how we're going to deal with that creepy versus compelling line of checking in and uh, seeing how people are emotionally. Um, so it, this, this, there are no easy answers to this one. So along those lines, can we talk about the generational differences uh, and how that plays in as well, right? You just think about so many societal shifts that are happening. Uh, You have political divisions, you have social unrest, uh, you have companies getting much more engaged in societal uh, issues, focus on diversity, equity, inclusion, right? There's a lot there in that list that I just gave and uh, you mix in the generational differences. So can you just go a little bit deeper on how you see generational differences and the expectations um, playing out in the, in the workforce? Yeah. So I, um, you know, I'm a Gen Xer myself. So, you know, late forties. Um, I remember at the beginning of my career, people wanting me to come in and talk about millennials. Now the millennials are managers wanting you to come in and talk about Gen Z so I find that very something. It's ironic or funny. Um, but I think that you're going to see an alignment between Gen Z and millennials. I think that those two generations will actually, you know, overcome some of the surface level, you know, meme level uh, framings of their differences and realize that we actually have similar approaches to values, um, the role of the organization in society, the use of technology um, and kind of this desire for flexibility in our lives. So I think it's the alignment of the Gen Z and millennials that will be the big story, less a kind of how is Gen Z different than millennials? Because, you know, life stages really shape (laughs) the workplace dynamic of generations. The kids aren't coming to your work, uh, your, your, your organization as a teenager. They're coming as a 25, 35 year old entering a household family formation stage. So that's the alignment. It's the big story for me. Yeah. I'd be, I'd be curious, um, speaking as, you know, a, a millennial, I'm, I'm curious to see that alignment. Cause I, I agree. I think it is going to happen. I think the conversation is going to go less from why are you dressing like we did in the early two thousands to, Hey, I agree with you on that. Or, um, why aren't, you know, companies taking more of a societal approach and using their voice. And I think something that's been super interesting to me is with the rise of, of tools such as TikTok 
um, and people putting messages out there. And they're talking about all facets of work and life. And there's a combination between the two. I think it's going to be interesting to see as TikTok goes closer to companies. Right now, it's, you know, we're, we're playing in the space, but we're playing from the edges. When the millennials and the Gen Z, I think, start to climb those ranks and put it, um, you know, multiple opportunities out there. It's not just Twitter anymore and it's not Facebook and it's not just, you know, the, you know, TikTok, it's now metaverse, et cetera, where that all comes together into fruition, where we still have baby boomers or we still have individuals of the mindset of, well, we might need, we might not need that omnipresent place or that thing. Um, what is your, what's your thought on, you know, the future of, of, all of all of that, if you will. Do you think that we're just going to continue to grow, and the metaverse is now going to be the you know the the Facebook of the past? Is there going to be you know a plane past the metaverse? Are we going to be in space, or, or what do you what do you predict there? You really looking out into the future? Yeah. So I I wouldn't I wouldn't go too far beyond the metaverse at this point. It's probably it, it's still a few years away. Like the 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 notion of uh you know I put on some glasses and some earbuds and I'm in a presenced environment, that's still ahead of us. So we haven't really confronted it. Um, I think what the the you know TikTok genre has opened up is our ability to tell stories about ourselves and about our company culture. Um, and if you're looking, if you're if you are an employer, you are looking at that kind of TikTok phenomenon of, wow, people are sharing stories in a very unique, engaging, entertaining way. And they're not connected around a social graph of their friends and family, but an interest graph. So I think companies are going to start to move from, you know, how did you connect? How did you sell a product? How did you have an have a, a, a glue within the organization, you took a social graph, a social network approach because Facebook and Twitter were social. And now TikTok is about shared interests. Doesn't matter if I am directly connected to Laura or Todd, we share an interest. Um, so I think that, that the, the near-term shift is probably around that storytelling interest connections um, and the metaverse, that's still a few years away. We're, you know, it's, uh, you know, I know Harry's excited to get in there, but it's, it's still <laughs> got some uh, uh, development uh, in, in that world. So, Gary, if I could jump in, I, um, I'm fascinated by this generational stuff. I'll just say that right off the bat. But as a, as a fellow Gen Xer, um, on the younger side of Gen X, close to the cusp, but definitely Gen X, um, you know, who do we more closely align with? Is it this new alliance of millennials and Gen Z or is it the baby boomers? Because I don't feel much like a baby boomer, honestly. Um, yeah. But I just think it is interesting. And and just to couch it back to the future of work, I would say, you know, at Gen X is growing into leadership roles, right? We've reached that that time in our lives where that that's, you know, becoming a uh, an option. So curious, how does that inform Gen X's leadership style in the future of work? I tend to, I'm, all, I'm, I'm also in the lower range uh, of that Gen X uh, cohort. I think we're, we're going to lean towards the future, which is uh, uh, really trying to find the common goals that we share with the Gen X millennial cohorts. Um, and this is not to say that the boomers, you know, are going away anytime soon, but I think the Gen X leadership is going to be looking at 
those millennials and Gen Z and say they have the mindset that is aligned to the future of work and the future of society and will 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 kind of become part of that coalition. Non-political coalition. Hey Gary, I want to uh, Yeah, Gary, I want to um I, I want to come back to a comment that I made at the very beginning of of this uh, podcast as well as something that Laura just brought up and that is the way that consumer expectations are are being built, right? So whether it's broad open marketplaces where people can buy just about anything, whether it's the proliferation of um, tools like TikTok and how they influence how people interact, should we as employers be looking at consumer experiences and what's leading and growing there as things that we should expect our employees in the workplace are going to want going forward? Absolutely. So the, the, the broader trend here is the consumerization of X, the consumerization of healthcare, the consumerization of whatever it is. Um, you have to take that perspective. Um, every, everything from the UX, what's the experience of the work uh, environment um, to uh, the, the notion of a platform or an ecosystem and your IT system being able to connect with various platforms, the desire to have kind of a buffet, you know, I take a little bit of this, a little bit of that. All of those fall under the conversations of that consumerization trend. Um, and, and, and I think all employers would benefit uh, from that, that lens. It doesn't need to, need to be the primary lens, but it is certainly one that should guide, I think, your innovation strategies internally. All right. Well, this has been a really great discussion with a lot of really interesting themes. I'd like to kick it over to Harry. Um, What are your impressions of our conversation? Any big takeaways and any final questions for Gary as we wrap things up here today? Yeah, thanks, Todd. I'm a really interesting conversation. I think the the macro themes that Gary brought up are, are fascinating. And if I take away anything from this, it's that, you know, as we think about the the work of the future, we need to expect more change. We need to be be able to adapt and really look at consumer and employee expectations and, and adjust accordingly um, if we want to retain talent. So this has been a, a great conversation. I love it. And I think it's a good foundation for upcoming episodes. We'll bring in different stakeholders in this equation and talk about their uh, perspective of the future of work. So, um, Gary, I want to thank you for joining us. And and one final question, though, right, as we think about our listeners sitting here, um, listening to the comments of a futurist and thinking, where do I go from here? Uh, Any advice for people about how to start thinking like a futurist, right, without all the training you've gone through, um, you know, how does someone go about really thinking creatively and thinking like a futurist? Sure. So we all think about the future naturally, right? And, and when we think about the future, we, we bring one of three perspectives. Uh, hindsight, where you're tapping that wisdom of the past, the experience. Then you've got insight, which is that nuanced understanding of things happening today. And then foresight, which is the ability to anticipate and lead change. And, and foresight is what futurists do. Um, if there is one model that I can leave you all with, it is thinking about possible futures. And there's a a framework used within the futurist world called four futures. So you can imagine like the archetypal story is either continued growth, things are going great, sales are open, moving forward. Then there's the uh, disciplined, constrained future, 
we're still going to do what we do today. It's just going to be more competition, more regulation. It's just constrained. Then there's the transformed future, which is either the unit will be transformed or the company will be transformed. And then the final archetype is decline collapse. And that's where you kind of, you're managing the decline. So every leader that wants to think like a futurist should be able to describe those four futures. So you should be able to describe the bullet points of our transformation, our decline collapse, our continued growth, and our constrained future. Um, so thinking in multiple futures is probably the, the best mindset moving forward. That's great. Wow, that makes a lot of sense. So uh, with that, we're going to tie up episode one of the Working Forward podcast. First, thanks, Gary, so much for your insights. Uh, really enjoyed your perspective. The future is uh, – we've got a fascinating future ahead, so it's been really compelling. Um, want to thank our co-hosts as well for the great dialogue and questions. We will be back soon, so we look forward to joining you again with episode two, and thanks so much. Thank you. You're listening to Working Forward, Future of Work podcast series. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the hosts and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Symmetra Life Insurance Company or its affiliates. The host is not affiliated with Symmetra Life Insurance Company and or any of its affiliates and is solely responsible for the content.